Uh, just a word about our brother Carlos. He's going to be preaching this morning. This this message is the last installment of our whole uh, uh, focus on Christianity and the postmodern puzzle. And um, uh, Carlos is going to be uh, speaking to us along those lines this morning, kind of capping off this, uh, this series that we have been through in our Sunday school hour and even in our, our morning services over the month of December. Uh, but just a couple words about Carlos and my appreciation for him. Most people, when they move to a new area, they they find a home that they want and then after and they find the employment that they want. And then once they move in, they start looking for a church. And sometimes they find a good church. Sometimes they don't. Uh, Carlos and Jennifer found a good church first. Then they found a home that was near the church that they found. That was their first priority. And I would actually commend that um, to you guys as an example. Uh, but we, Carlos uh, is really passionate about the Lord and about uh, the ministry. He has given up his career as a pilot for SkyWest um, to devote himself to training for full-time uh, ministry and he's presently a student at the Master's uh, Seminary. I believe you're in your second year. And um, uh, part of why we're having him speak is because um, as part of his training there at the seminary, he's had to do uh, voluminous reading and even writing on the subject of uh, a lot of what we're talking about with regard to postmodernism. And so uh, he may disagree with this, but my opinion is he's probably the most well-read guy on this particular uh, topic. And so in terms of having someone from our church speak on this subject, he is one of the men that I would definitely look forward to hearing from. And that is why we have asked him uh, to come and open up the word uh, to us uh, this morning. We are extremely blessed to have him and Jennifer and their beautiful children as a part of this uh, church family. One of the things that makes me so excited about our church's future is the quality people that God is bringing to us. We don't even deserve uh, this, but God is bringing people like this to us, and he's using uh, them. And so we're very blessed to have the Cuellar family as a part of our church family. And Carlos, we're very blessed to have you come and open up the word to us this morning uh, we're praying for you and looking forward to what God's going to say to us all through you. So let us give this brother a very warm cornerstone welcome. Wow. I am touched. Um, Milton's right. We did... We did look long and hard when we were looking for a church, and we just were really drawn to Cornerstone uh, because of the people, because of the leadership, because of uh, their commitment to the truth, which we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. And this is, the, this is the church that I've been at the longest as a believer, having been saved 10 years ago, um, and we're just thrilled to be here, um, and I'm just humbled to be part of a team that loves the Lord and to be among brothers and sisters who, who also love and are seeking the Lord. And, um, just to stand here before you, honestly, I am, it's a terrifying, humbling feeling. And uh, I think I want to um, have a heart attack, faint, and throw up all at the same time. So for you sitting in the front, Milton, I can reach you from here. 
Uh, you might want to do the Sea World, the Sea World thing right now. Um, well, let's. Again, I, I am extremely humbled, and um, I, I want to just ask the Lord's blessing on our time. So let's do that together. Father, I come before you now, and I just praise you for who you are. I thank you that we have such a great and awesome God who is truth, who has revealed his truth and made it known to us. And apart from you doing that, Lord, we could not know you. We cling to every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us during these next few minutes. I know that all of us come to church often with the weight of concerns and trials and the the cares of life, but I pray that we would set those aside for the next few minutes to hear what you would have to say to us through your word. And I pray that you'd give us the heart not only to hear it, but to do it, to be people who would be passionate about you and pursuing your truth and living it out as we've even heard already this morning. Lord, be with us. Give me grace. I am nothing. I have nothing to say apart from you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, like Milton said, it's been two years since I uh, took that huge leap of faith and left my career to pursue seminary. And I've done that because I'm just passionate about wanting to know the truth. Wanting to know the truth. Um, But before I did that, this was me, and uh, I had the privilege and really a neat opportunity that not many people have to fly for an airline. Uh, and I wasn't flying a 747, I was flying a turboprop, but I was still flying people around, all the big airports, LAX, uh, San Francisco, everywhere. And uh, I had people behind me that I had to take care of. And it was a privilege, it was a, it was a neat opportunity. I, I, I'm one of the privileged who can say that my office window overlooked California and that my cubicle went 400 miles an hour. And not many people can say that, so I thank God for that time. But um, when I flew as a pilot, I really only had two goals. The the first one was not to crash. Um, And the second one was to be the best pilot that I could be. That was my my desire. And I remember the first day of ground school receiving this, and it's all tattered and worn, but this was our flight operations manual, and everybody got one the first day of ground school. And they told you, That in order to succeed, this is what you needed to study, to memorize, to know. Um, And I I did that. I poured over it. I I went to bed next to it. I I have pizza stains in it from, you know, just eating and soaking it in during ground school. And uh, you could never fly without it. It was illegal because you needed it. Um, And I, I came to the realization that knowing this FOM, this Flight Operations Manual, for me was a matter of life and death. It was what was going to enable me to not crash, to not end up in some disaster that you read about. And it was what was going to enable me to be the pilot that the company wanted me to be and that the Lord wanted me to be. Um, and so I, 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 I consumed it up. And, and really, this, uh, God's word, God's truth is our flight operations manual. It is what God has given to us so that we might be all that he wants us to be as his children, and it's what he's given to us so that we will avoid crashing into mountains of false teaching, of error, of wrong living. And so we realize that just like this operations manual for me was life and death, truth, God's truth, 
for us as believers is a matter of life and death. And, it's, and I've been thinking about this, especially as we've been going through this whole uh, postmodernism uh, series, and as we've been looking at the postmodern worldview, which I want us to realize as we walk away from it, we're going to walk away, we're going to move away from it, and I want us to realize that it is false teaching. It is an attack on God's word. It denies the source of truth, the universality of truth, the certainty of truth, the knowability of truth, the exclusivity of truth. It denies the authority of God and his truth. And um, what it's doing is just saying, you and I can determine truth. Truth is relative. Truth doesn't matter. It's like a buffet. It's, it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. You can pick and choose what you want. You can leave behind what you don't want. And in the realm of religion or spirituality, as it's now called, people are free to, to choose their truth, choose their religion, to choose their own God. If you wanted to sum it up, postmodernism is trying to have God without truth. That's what it is. And that's what we need to see it. It's, it's the fabric, it's the current deception that makes up the fabric of our culture and we're in it. And so we need to know about it. It's good that we've studied it. We need to know about it. We need to be aware of these things because God has put you and I in the, on this planet at this time in this culture of postmodernism. And to deny it or to stay in a Christian bubble and, and not know what's going on outside is foolish. As we heard this morning, we're called to go and take the gospel to those who are blinded and who are bound up in postmodernism. But we cannot, we need to be in the world, but we need to be not of the world. And what the sad thing is, is that many in evangelicalism and Christianity are buying it. They're buying and they're leaping headlong into postmodernism, buying it wholesale. And by doing that, they are contributing to the denial of the truth and, having, and, and minimizing truth, undermining truth, and even redefining truth. And this is happening. This is happening in churches. This is happening among believers. Um, I think more than ever, you and I need to know the truth. We need to affirm the truth. We need to defend the truth. We need to proclaim it and be growing in it. If we're going to be who God wants us to be as the church, which is the pillar of the truth, is it not? And so I want to talk about the truth about truth. Um, and what I want to give you are seven truths that you and I must be passionate about. We must know these truths. We must affirm them. We must believe them. We must embrace them. We can't walk out of here. We can't walk into 2008 without doing this. And these are the truths that are under attack, but they're the truths that I believe will make us what God wants us to be and they will enable us to avoid the perils of false teaching. So truth number one, and it is that the truth is revealed. The truth is revealed. When we... Oh, can you hear me? When we look at a passage like 1 Timothy 2.4, it's like a window into the mind, the very heart, the will of God. And it says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's very will for every person, for you and for me. God wants you and I to know His truth. And so he has revealed it to us. He has given it to us because he wants us to know who he is, who we are, and the reality of everything that is. And so God is the very source of truth, of what is true and what is real. And this truth 
What I'm telling you now is under attack. It's under attack, just like my microphone is. Um, I love this quote by John MacArthur. Reality is what is because God declares it so and made it so. Therefore, God is the author, the source, the determiner, the governor, the arbiter, the ultimate standard and final judge of all truth. Truth is absolute. Truth is universal. Truth is independent from you and I. And it's authoritative. God is wanting us to acknowledge that truth and to submit to that truth. Um, This should humble us because apart from God revealing it to us, we will never know him. And yet, again, among a growing number of Christians who have embraced postmodernism, this truth is under attack. Um, they're denying that it's universal. Instead, what they've said, and we've heard, a little about, uh, we've heard much about it this morning, that truth is socially constructed, that it's devised. It doesn't come down from a, an almighty, sovereign, omnipotent God, omniscient God. Uh, a quote from Stanley Grenz, and before Stanley Grenz died in 2005, he was probably one of the most popular and growing postmodern Christian or evangelical uh, theologians, and he has influenced many people, uh, among whom are Brian McLaren, who is one of the, the greatest voices in the emerging church, or a segment of the emerging church. And here's what he says. He says, postmoderns no longer search for the one system of truth, the one meta-narrative that can unite humans into one people or the globe into one world. And this statement is nothing other than Romans 125. It's man exchanging the truth of God for a lie. But you and I need to remember that you and I need to remember that truth is is revealed. God is crying out his truth. He's he's proclaiming his truth. He's saying, "Know my truth." And he's given it to us in creation. He's given it to us through his son, the word incarnate, and he's ultimately given it to us in his word. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word is truth. And Jude, writing to the saints, speaking of this truth, this faith, says it has been once for all delivered to us, the saints. Past tense, we have it. It's been given. And so God has revealed his truth in his word. And he wants us to know it, which leads us to point number two. The truth is knowable. And you're like, duh. Uh, I know, this is... And yet these are the truths that are under attack right now. They're truths that you and I need to continually affirm. We need to be proclaiming these to people because there are some that are denying it. And when we say that the truth is knowable, all we're saying is that to know truth is to uh, be able to understand it, to comprehend it, to possess it. There are those among the emerging church movement which embraces postmodernism and, and they would say, yeah, we, we, we can believe that there is absolute truth or that there is truth, there's truth out there. But what they do, and it's just a repackaging of things that have gone on in liberalism, what they do is they focus so much on, on man and the receiver of that revelation. They, they focus on our mental limitations, on the finiteness of language and the limitations of language, on our cultural baggage that we bring to the text when we study God's word our leanings, our biases. And they say, because of all that, you can't know it. You can't know it, certainly. But God and his word say something different, very different. And, we were, and we've got to go back to the thing that God has revealed it because he wants us to know it. Um, 
we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. The scripture affirms this. The Bible assumes everywhere that truth is noble, that you and I can understand it, that we have the intellectual capabilities to comprehend it, to know it, to, to receive it. Uh, and it declares this. Um, and even in just in 1 John, the word know, K-N-O-W, occurs 40 times. And, and, and these, these, these scriptures are powerful. Listen to what John says. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Later, towards the end of the book, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We have understanding. We have the truth. It is knowable. Really, the Bible doesn't waste time dealing with this issue. It really speaks more to who can know it. And the Bible is clear that people who don't know, or don't know God don't know truth. They can't know it. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. The world through its wisdom was not able to come to a knowledge of God, come to know God. And, and Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.7, talks about false teachers who are always learning, but they're never coming to the knowledge or able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But listen to what Paul continues to say. But, but God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We know it. We have it. And this should just cause us to, to worship God, to say, God, thank you. Not only that you've revealed your truth, but you've made it known to me. Because not everybody knows it. And yet it is knowable. And this should also make us confident because, again, we're going to be continually attacked. Uh, that you can't know it for sure. And who are you to say with certainty what God's Word says? I mean, this is, this is the rhetoric. This is, what's going, this is what's being spewed out of the postmodern evangelical camp. That you and I, who are we to say How dare you say that you know the truth? Which leads us to truth number three. Truth number three, the truth is exclusive. What I mean by that is that it is our only path to God. There's only one way to arrive at God and that's through His truth. I said earlier that people who don't have God can't know truth, but people who don't have truth can't know God. The psalmist in Psalm 43.3, listen to what he says. He says, I send out your light. Oh, sorry, he says, I send, oh, send out your light. He's crying out to God. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. The psalmist understood that he couldn't get to God unless God gave him the light, gave him the path through the truth to come to him. And, and he knew that there was only that way that only through that way could he get to God. And, and God epitomizes through, or this through Christ and, and, and what Jesus says. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the more that we read Scripture, the more that we see the gospel, the truth of God's word, it is an exclusive message. That's what distinguishes us from the world religions. 
And yet all false teaching is claiming an alternate path to God. It's saying, you do not have to take this road. You can take this one or this one or this one. And postmodernism is claiming that you, you all can determine what that path is. And sadly, Christians have bought into this so that they, they buck, they hate, they resist when people say that truth is exclusive or that there's only one way. They start to squirm. And you see it in their writings as they write about it. They just hate it. Uh, Brian McLaren, in, in, in his book, Genesis Orthodoxy, says, Jesus did not come to create another exclusive religion. Judaism, being based on genetics, and Christianity, being based on belief. And later in the book, he says, I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to the Christian religion. It may be advisable in many, not all, circumstances to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, or Jewish contexts. Um, Really, what the heart of this is, is the desire to be inclusive. But what they've done is, in, in giving up the gospel, they've lost everything. They want everyone to come in um, they, they reject this universal idea of truth and so they, they think that they, they reject this one meta narrative that says that it's only this way and they emphasize love so much and that God, God, no, God can do this. He can bring people to Christ out, apart from Christ or by another way or without hearing the gospel. And this is part of the postmodernist message, this inclusive message. But the gospel is narrow, Jesus said. Narrow is the gate. And there are few who find it. And you don't have to believe what McLaren believes to, to be a danger. This truth can affect us, that truth is exclusive. In fact, I believe it really does affect many of us because of the fear of man and because we live in this politi- politically correct environment that's constantly squeezing on us to... To not say anything, uh, we want to, I mean, we, it's almost like you can get arrested now for telling someone that their view is wrong. But what that's causing is many Christians to shrink back and to, to quiet their mouths when call, Christ is calling us to proclaim the exclusive message of the gospel and to say that there's only one way. And so you and I need to realize this. We need to remain bold in our witness in our proclamation of the gospel and of the truth. And we need to know that the world is going to think it's foolish. We're going to get persecuted for it. That's part of the game, suffering for the message that we proclaim. But that's the reality, that truth is exclusive. Well, truth number four. The truth is the guard against error. When we think back to the Garden of Eden, when we think back to Genesis 3, and we, and we look at that passage, what we're seeing is the beginning, the very beginning of false teaching. The very beginning of the attack on God's Word. And it's an attack that continues, that will continue, that will only get stronger until the day that Christ comes back and the, the day that every knee bows and every tongue confesses that He's Lord. And until that time, we're going we're gonna to continue to see false teaching exploding, um, magnifying. It's, it's like an atomic bomb that's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, taking out more and more people. Paul warned Timothy about this. 2 Timothy 3.13, he said that evil men and imposters would proceed from bad to worse 
being deceived, deceiving and being deceived. In second, in second Peter, Peter gives us kind of a look into this picture of false teaching and how it's going to affect us. Listen to what he says. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many, many will follow their sensuality and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. There's no reason to believe that this passage doesn't apply to us. It does. And what it implies is that Cornerstone is not immune to false teaching, to wrong thinking, to doctrinal error. We need to be careful because if we look at church history, we see that so many times, so often, false teaching, wrong thinking creeps into the church and it comes from within the church. And this should be sobering to us. Um, The fact that some here, right now perhaps, through ignorance of the truth, through unbelief of the truth, may become an agent of Satan to spread destructive error. Or that they may, that some here, because of their um, youth in the truth, or their youth in the truth, or their, uh, their newness to the truth, um, their weakness in the truth, might become a victim of these false words. It brings to my mind the, the, those Planet Earth videos. How, how many of you have seen those? Planet Earth. The BBC produced these great documentaries and there's, there's, there's just great animal scenes uh, all over the world, shot all over the world. And there's one scene that I remember, I think it was in Alaska over the tundra, and these, these reindeer are running. These deer are running. Um, it's a herd. And there's only about three or four wolves and they're, they're, they're starting to give chase. And all, after a while, everybody's full speed. And the wolves are looking, they're, they're, they're gauging who's weak, who's vulnerable, who's young. And they're trying to get that one off the path, off the beaten path of the rest of the herd and grab him. And that's what ends up happening. The wolf t- you know, gets, just picks off this one, guy, one small deer and he's on him and on him and on him and he's getting closer. And I was watching this the other day with my sons and Andrew's cheering on the wolf. He's like, go, 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 get him. <laughs> And, uh, and Stephen's like, no, no, no. And uh, I remember, I mean, you know, the wolf gets him, starts eating him. And Stephen's just like, you know. And uh, Stephen afterwards was like, Daddy, I was on the deer's team and he, he lost. <laughs> we lost. And, and that's what we need to think about. We, there may be some of, uh, among us that are going to be picked off. I mean, all of us who who embrace the truth, who put our faith in the truth, have a bullseye on us. And Satan's looking to see who's the weak one, who's the one who doesn't know truth, who's the one that's vulnerable, that I can just pick off. Um, And what do we do about this? What do we do? Well, Peter, towards the end of the book, of his letter, he, he writes these words. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Knowing this, that there's going to be some coming in, they're going to secretly bring these, these destructive heresies in and that many are going to 
follow after them. They're going to want to exploit you. Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. The, the word beloved there, he's talking to everyone. He's not just talking to the spiritual leaders, the elders of the church and saying, hey, you guys, you guys need to keep your act together. You know, he's talking to the brethren, the entire body. He's saying each of you needs to be aware of this constantly. Each of you needs to be on your guard. And the beloved also brings up the idea of believers. These were believers, which is somewhat frightening in the sense that it's not just those who are unbelievers among, in our midst that will ultimately get picked off, but it's, it's pointing to the fact that there may be a season where you and I are being carried away, being, falling from our steadfastness, as it says, and we're believing a lie. We're embracing something false, and it's causing havoc and destruction and consequences for our lives. Um, Ephesians 6.14, Paul, we've, we've studied this recently with Milton. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. That's what we need to do. I mean, this isn't rocket science. It's just the picture that attack is coming. It's coming to Cornerstone. And unless you know the truth, unless you're guarded, being on guard, unless you're understanding this beforehand, you may get picked off. So we need to stand firm. First Peter 5a, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How do we do this? We're constantly on guard. We're constantly watching. What are we ingesting? What are we listening to? Who are we reading? And what are our brothers and sisters teaching? And what are they saying? And what's going on? Just constant looking out for one another, guarding not only ourselves, but cornerstone in each other. Truth number five. The truth is the foundation for right living. And this is the one that really, I get really passionate about this one. Because it's really here that truth is being minimized. The emerging church holds that that orthodoxy, which just means right, right thinking, right believing, orthodoxy is not as important, I'm sorry, yeah, is not as important as orthopraxy or right living. Um, this is dangerous to get into this mindset where we start thinking that it's more important how we live than what we know. Scott McKnight, who is a uh, theologian professor and, and, and he, would, he would consider himself a friend of the emerging church, uh, he says, to be straight up about it, the emerging movement thinks how a person lives is more important than what they believe. That orthopraxy is the most important thing. He goes on to say, we may not get it right when it comes to theology, so what we are called to do is to live right. And that's dangerous. He's assuming kind of what we, back a few points, he's, he's, he's bought into that mindset that he's not so sure we can know it. He's not so sure we can have it right doctrinally. But what we should be about, if we can't do that, if we can't know the truth, certainly, then we at least better be living right. Um, this is wrong, wrong thinking. Um, and this, this, you don't have to be in the emerging church to believe this. I know that there's probably some among us here who, who in some way believe this. I mean, have you ever heard something like, I'd rather know a dozen verses and obey them than the whole Bible and do nothing about it? 
Or we need to stop learning and start applying. And when we make statements like that, what are we saying? We're saying holiness is more important than knowledge. And we're making a false dichotomy as if we had to choose. My question is, why are we choosing between those two? The Bible makes it clear that they're both important. John 4.24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible goes on to say that how, how truth fits into this. John 17.17, 17, when Jesus, the night that he was about to be betrayed, how, when he prayed to his father on behalf of the disciples, on behalf of all disciples, including you and me, he said, sanctify them, O oh, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And what Jesus is saying here, he's giving us a picture of where and how sanctification takes place in the sphere of truth. You can't have holiness. You can't have sanctification. You can't become more like Christ without the truth. You need the truth. And if you don't know it, you will not be holy we, 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 I think what we do, and I think what the Emerging Church does, is it looks over here and it says, you know what, we see a bunch of people who, who, who think they know it all, who are claiming to know it all, and they're not doing anything about it. They're not living it out. But, but what they're responding to is they're almost, they're almost impugning knowledge or truth. That's not the problem. The problem is that these people aren't living it out. In fact, Jesus never condemns anyone for, not, for knowing too much. In the Bible, he repeatedly actually gets on people's cases because they should have known stuff. He tells Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I mean, he's kind of disappointed, disgusted. The, Hebrew, uh, the writer of Hebrews, Paul, I mean, no. <laughs> uh, the writer of Hebrews in 5.12 says, he has that same disgust. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. See, we need to be growing in the Word. We need to know the place that truth plays in our lives. Um, if we want to live right, then we've got to think right. And we've got to believe what's right. Truth number six the truth is to be desired. The truth is to be desired. We, we read in, in 1 Timothy 2.4 how God desires that we would come to know it, but God also wants that we would want to come to know it. Proverbs 23.23 Buy truth. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The proverb says, we need, what we need to do is we need to see God's truth as so precious, so powerful, so necessary for life that, that we'll do anything to get it. We need to be like the man in the, in the parable that, that saw that treasure in the field and he sold everything that he had to get that because he wanted that treasure. I, I love the picture of Solomon. Solomon is put by God on the throne of his father David. And he's, he's really overwhelmed about that. And God says, ask of me anything and I'll give it to you. And he says, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and that I may come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours, God? I need wisdom 
and knowledge. See, Solomon saw the, what God was placing before him, this task of, of being king over Israel. And he realized, this is, I can't do this. I need you, Lord. I need your help. Give me wisdom and knowledge so I'll know how to do it. And, and Solomon had a right perspective of truth. He saw the importance of knowledge and understanding and knowing. He knew that he needed it and he wanted it so bad that he asked God for that. He could have asked for anything he wanted, but he asked for that. And that's how we need to be. We need to see the life that God's given us. He's given us our life, eternal life. And we need to see it as, as overwhelming as, as something that we can't do apart from God. So, so much so that we cry out to Him. We say, Lord, I need wisdom and knowledge. I need your truth. The psalmist cries this out. He says in Psalm 25, 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you... I wait all the day. Psalm 86, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. For how many of you had truth as number one on your Christmas wish list? Well, if you didn't, that's okay. Don't wait till next year to put it on. We, you and I can ask for it now. We need to start seeking it now. And I know that we do to a certain degree, but even more, like we never have before. Think of Deuteronomy where... God brought the people out into the wilderness and he, he tested them so that ultimately they'd come to the point that they'd realize, God, we can't do anything. We, can't, we, we don't just live by bread alone. We, we need to live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. We need you. Give us truth. Give us your word. So we need to desire truth. And, and the last point, truth number seven. The truth is to be pursued. And that, this is where... This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where This is where it happens. This is we can't just talk about truth. We can't just defend it. We need to pursue it. We need to pursue it. Peter as he concluded that that second letter to to his readers, he said, "But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You want to know how to become everything that God wants you to be? You want to know how to guard yourself against the false teaching that's going to come and it's going to be an onslaught and it's going to attack you? Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That's what he said. One of my favorite passages, uh, and I probably wish I could have done the whole sermon on just this passage, is 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul, when he put Timothy in Ephesus, and he did that, by the way, to, so that Timothy would teach certain men not to, to continue teaching strange doctrine. There was, there was false teaching in the church at Ephesus when Timothy showed up. Paul tells his, his son in the faith, he says, Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Paul says, be diligent. That word, make every effort, do your best, strive after this, seek this, pursue it. That's what Paul's saying. And why does, why does he have to tell Timothy that? Part of it is because truth doesn't come naturally. We don't, truth doesn't just happen. I mean, God wants us to know it. We're going to know it. We can know it. But it's not just like God zaps you, you know. Uh, it doesn't come by osmosis, transcendental meditation. It doesn't come by drinking eagle eggs and getting eagle powers. It, it comes. 
Like anything else in the Christian life, it comes by hard work, by faithfulness, by discipline, by commitment, by passion and perseverance. We're to pursue it. and We're to be growing in it. And what does he mean by accurately handling the word of truth? What does he mean by that? He means that we're, we're, to, we're to know truth so much, we're to be saturated with God's word so much that we can wield it we can apply it skillfully to every situation that comes up in our lives. That's what he's talking about. And when you think about it, think about it for a second. I mean, think about every situation in your life that you need wisdom, that you need God's truth for, in, in, in even one day. And when you start to think about that, and you multiply that, and you look at the rest of your life, you see how much we need to know truth. And, and I think what baffles me is, is how much we pursue so many other things for so much longer of a period of time in our lives that really don't matter. Um, and even things that do matter. I mean, it baffles me that it takes five years to be an engineer and it takes ten years to be a doctor and it takes... And yet, how much time are we spending, how much time are we devoting to becoming people who can accurately handle the word of truth? How much time are we spending as God's workmen, as it says? We are his laborer. God has put us here for a purpose. This is our calling, to know his truth. The other thing that we need to understand is that truth is, truth is a battle every day. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I wake up every day, there's a couple of things happening. There's the world that's, that's desiring to, to steer me away from what I need to be doing, to, it, it's trying to get me to pursue and get consumed with and, get, and waste time in things that have nothing to do with why God has put me here on this earth. And every day there's my sinful flesh that's saying, go worship this and pursue this and camping or backpacking or mountain biking or whatever it is. We need to be people who are, are, are battling and engaged in the battle every day to make the choice to pursue God's word. If we want to know it, then we'll pursue it passionately. We'll pour our money, our time, our effort, all of our being into that. And, and we see that because when we get... I mean, I remember when I got into backpacking. It was like this little bug that got into my head and then it just exploded and I needed every little piece of this and that and this stove and that stove and, and uh, this better back, backpack and this better sleeping bag. And, and, but I was consumed with it. I, I devoted time, money, everything to it. If we're serious about God's word, if we, we're passionate. We, we've heard recently Milton talking about passion for the gospel. Passion. We need to be passionate about God's word, his truth, and knowing it. Well, we're coming to the end of 2007, and, and really my prayer for us as, as a church, as Cornerstone, is that we would, would be just sold out for pursuing the truth of the gospel, God's word. That this next year that we would just be Pursuing it, affirming it, proclaiming it, defending it, growing in it, knowing it, giving it to each other, all of that. And, and I really believe that God's going to honor that. Jesus' Jesus's words just continue to come to my mind. If you continue in my truth, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free from sin, free from false teaching, and free to be all that God is calling you and I to be. We just sang earlier, 
Knowing you, there is no greater thing. Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we just were humbled, we're floored. We thank you so much that you are a God who has chosen to reveal yourself to us. You didn't have to do it, Lord. We know, we understand that you could have left us groping in the darkness, totally justified to do that, and yet you have revealed yourself, you have made yourself known, your truth is accessible, it's knowable. Father, I pray that we would believe the truth about your truth, that we would never deny that, but that we would be growing in it, that we would be pursuing it, that we would cherish it, Lord, as a treasure. Paul told Timothy, guard the deposit, guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. And I pray that each one of us, having received that treasure through Christ and through his sacrifice on the cross for us, that we would hold that treasure in our hands, that we would cherish it, that we would, that we would continually seek it out to know your truth, Lord. We need your word for everything in this life. And this life is all about doing what you have called us to do as your laborers, your workmen. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom and the knowledge and the truth that we need, Lord. And I pray for Cornerstone, especially as we know that false teaching will continue. I pray that you would be with us, Lord, that you would guard us, that we would be on guard with your truth. I pray that you would protect our staff and that you would protect the elders and that you would protect each and every one present here, each and every person in our church from false teaching and that you would strengthen us to be who you want us to be in your truth, sanctified in your truth for your glory, Lord. And that's what we want. We want your glory. We pray all these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.